You are listening to the Just Do Better podcast. Here we discuss overcoming different trials of life and business, experiencing joy to the fullest, and continuing to persevere in a world that loves to hold us back. I am your host, Logan Lachance, and this is the Just Do Better podcast. Sorry. You had to do the honors. Okay. Wayne Phlebotomist Perrin. (laughs) Phlebotomist! Nailed it. Take one. It's the only take. We're one, we're one and done type guys. Got you. That's kind of how I am. I get it. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wayne Perrin, you've survived the military. Mm-hmm. You've created a successful business for yourself. So. You've worked in a career field, which you hate. And now you're growing your social media platform. Yes, sir. What else do you want to do with your life? I honestly just want to live long and be healthy and just be happy. I think those are good goals. Honestly. And just, and like, um, be closer to God. That's like my main goal. Like, everybody gives something up for Lent. Yeah. Like, I'll give up social media. I'll, I'll delete Instagram. I'll stop drinking wine every, I don't know. You know what it is, you know? It's like an excuse not to do something and... I gave back by going to church every Sunday and Wednesday, every every day, and I didn't miss a single one. Which before, to get me to go to church once a month was like pulling teeth. Got it. You know, when I would go to church when I was a kid with my mom and dad, I was that kid sleeping, like laid out on the pew, mm. like, because they had cushions. Yeah. And like, my grandma would be like rubbing my hair the whole time. Or like I'd be laid out on the pew in the winter with a big winter jacket, just wrapped up. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> I was that guy. Yeah. Because when you're when you're young, like if your parents don't instill like God, which they did, they were like, but they weren't, they didn't like force me. It was a choice. Mm-hmm. They did force me to go to church though, but it was a choice to believe or not. It was a choice to get baptized or not. Got it. You know, I got baptized, I think, at age 12 or 13. No, sorry, 10. Because my grandma died in 2001. It was like her biggest goal to get my brother. I can't talk about that. No, you're good, man. That was my biggest fear is to cry in this podcast. I didn't <laughs> think what. Um, you're good. Yeah, she just wanted to see that. So I did it. So I did it for her. Let's move from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming back to it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some time to recover. I'm coming back to it. Yeah. My grandma was like the most important thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like she raised me. Mm. My tattoos are all about her. Mm-hmm. It's rough. You know, you're talking over 20 years, and it's a big part of your Is life. Is that mine or yours? That's yours. <laughs> that's you. <laughs> no, that's you. That's me. Yeah, that's you. I do not feel like that's me, bro. <laughs> I swear it is. I'm not the one with the gastrointestinal <laughs> issues. Yeah, I'm the one with the issues, but that's you. I swear. It's <laughs> not gonna be on that. I don't think so. If it is, I hope so. <laughs> 
you got every emotion going on right now. <laughs> no. But yeah, my grandma was like the biggest mm-hmm. thing in my life. She she raised me until 2001, until she passed away. And uh, yeah, it affects me to this day, bro. So. Well, this doesn't mean she was a great woman. Extremely. She raised you and is still important in your life 22 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's okay to hold on to that piece of her. It sounds like still to this day she even motivates you. Big time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then, yeah, we get in all that. Just crazy stories about after she died. And then when I almost died, and you know, there's a lot of stories to go over. <laughs> yeah, but so, I just hate the emotional ones because I don't, I don't like to be like I don't like to be the guy that's like, you know, I'm positive. Like I like to be positive about everything. I like to see the positive positivity in everything. Uh, I like mm-hmm. to like to find the reason in everything. I don't want like boohoo, you know, like that guy has a hard life. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I don't like that. That's fair. Yeah. And I think some people have it harder than others, especially. Mm. And same thing, like I don't know your story. You don't know mine from the first 20 plus years of our lives. Mm-hmm. Like who knows mm-hmm. what we're going through, but how are you today? Who are you today? Mm-hmm. So my dad was in the military. He was in the Navy when I was born. Okay. Same with my brother. He did six years in the Navy. And he when he got out, he was in E6, so he was burning. He was, he was burning fast, which means, like, he was ranking up fast. Like, if he would have stayed in, he would have been... I mean, if you're, a, if, you, if, if you're an E5, E6 by year six, there's a big chance you're going to be... You're going to reach E9 by year 20. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to go on the boat and the chances mm. of you going on the boat if you don't get put on the boat within the first four years you're talking you have like an 80 percent chance you're going to be on that boat well wow. okay because he worked on c-130s got so it. obviously okay. c-130s not going to be on a boat right so he had luck he got lucky but they were talking you extend you're going on the boat and you're you're going to be away from your family for nine months okay six months out of the year or what, something like that, you know? Was that his whole reason for not wanting to go on the boat, just to not be away from family? Yeah. Got it. You know, he wanted to move back to our hometown. Yeah. You know, so he went in the military, so he went in the military, obviously, I, I want to say, I want to say 84, 85. And then, you know, his basic training was in San Diego. His training was in Memphis, Tennessee where he had my brother. My brother's four years older than me. Okay. And then he went to Bermuda hmm. for like a short tour. And my mom visited him there. That's where I think I was conceived in Bermuda. That's where it gets down, you know what I mean? Bermuda shorts. <laughs> like you got to get it in, you know? <laughs> and uh, his Bermuda, his Bermuda trip which I want to say he was there for half a year. Um, yeah, like that, that was pretty crazy because he was working, he wasn't barely working. Hmm. 
They, he worked at the end of the runway, which I've worked at the end of the runway. We both worked on planes. And, like, they worked, like, Panama shifts. And, like, his, you know, he when he explains the military back then, like, it was all about taking care of each other. When I explained the military when I was in it, it was all about just burning each other. Interesting. Like, it completely changed within, you're talking, what is that, 20 years? No, less than 20 years. Well, 84 yeah, 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. What year did you go in? 08. Okay. Yeah. And he got yeah. out. I, he got out. He pretty much got out, I think, what's, six, like, nine, 1990, I want to say. Okay. So, like, right after I was born in 88, I think I only spent, like, my first year or two with in the military, like, life with him. So, I don't remember it at all. Like, right. I don't remember it at all. I don't remember until I was, like, age three or four is where I have memories. Yeah, that's yeah. about that's about average. Yeah. That was a lot of memories at age five. Mm-hmm. And that's because like when my when my when they left the military, they were in Lexington, Lexington Park, Maryland, and we're from Cumberland, Maryland. It's a four hour drive. So they were already pretty close. So they're like, hey, you're going to go on a boat if you if you reenlist. He's like, no, I'm getting out. And he went to Cumberland, Maryland, back where I'm from. And he bought this real small house. I mean, it's, I mean, it was maybe a little bit bigger in this room, maybe. <laughs> it was small. It was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. It's like four of these rooms put together so as one house. Maybe 500 square feet? Yeah, maybe. exactly, okay. exactly. And he built like this big, nice wooden deck on the back because he, he, he's good with construction and stuff. And, he made the best out of it. I think he, I want to say he bought that house for like 30 grand or somewhere around in there, 40 maybe. And then he sold it for like, I want to say 60 or something. I don't know. I'm just guessing. And then he bought the house beside my grandma. And that's when my relationship with my grandma became like, like really strong. Okay. And how old were you at this point? Five. Five. When I started. Okay. Yeah, like four or five. Five. Yeah. So from five to. 2001, so you're talking like 93 to 2001. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because like when my my mom, she did nails back in then, back in that time. And, and my grandma was a hairdresser like her whole career, like my mom's mom. Mm-hmm. And my, mom, my grandma always told, my Mimi, we call her Mimi. Always told my mom, I think I think this is a true story, but told her like you're never gonna make it make money doing nails or someone told her that, someone discouraged her. Hmm. But she got the license anyway. And she like bawled out in like nineteen ninety seven area. Okay. Like she was just making way more than my dad. And my dad was working for like a he was selling Toshiba copiers. Got it. Like million dollar deals. And he still does that to this day. He still works for there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, he, she was doing good. Like, she, because you, I don't know, like, the full set back then was probably, like, 25 bucks. And she was pumping out, like, 15 clients a day. So, back then, that was pretty good money. That's good money. You know, six days a week. Yeah. Sometimes, like, when they would get there, they would do add-ons. So, she would make $35, $40 a person. And just depending on what she, she did a bunch of different stuff. Like, she had, like, her, she would do your nails. She would wax your hands. She would do hand massage. She would spray tan you. She had tanning oh, beds wow. in the back. 
So she had everything there for you to make income. Yeah. So she had like memberships, like she was, they had it. And, and at first she was working at my grandma's place under my grandma paying rent. And then my dad, like they got into like a little issue, you know, probably over money or something. Because she, my grandma probably saw how much money she was making and then like, you need to pay more rent. And then my mom was probably like, no, this is a guess. Um, and then my dad was like, I'm building you your own business in our basement. And then mm. he did. And like extremely nice, like extremely nice. Like when you walked out, it was like fully landscaped, like, you know, pavers everywhere. Yeah. And then you walked in, it was her business. It was like, I think we had one tanning bed at the time back there. But she ended up getting two. And yeah. So yeah. Once we did that, we'd have to pay rent. Mm -hmm. It was just all income. It was all, you know, labor. I mean, she was making good money. Yeah. So every, I remember my dad would come home every day and she would just hand him the money. <laughs> and he would just sit there in his chair. He'd count it. And then that shit would go right in the bank. And... He's very, very, uh, saved his money very well. Good. You know? Yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense with your mom's personality and yours where someone tells you no and you just do the opposite. Someone tells you you can't do something, so you go for it. Yeah. Like, it, if you do that, you're just yeah. going to motivate us. You're yeah. going to motivate us to prove you wrong. Mm. You know, you set it, you, you kind of screwed yourself because you set a fire up our ass and, like, we're going to prove you wrong. And that's one thing that, yeah, definitely have that my mother has. Because that was probably like her mindset. Because like hearing the stories, like, yeah, that makes sense. So how long did you stay at that house or was... That's, that's pretty crazy because we lived there. We lived there till I was in like sixth grade. Or no, my end of fifth grade. So how old are you when you're in fifth grade? About 10. Yeah, so 10 five years at that house that was right beside my grandma's house. And we ended up buying my mom's mom's house. Okay. And the next town over. So you're talking like a 10 minute drive. Got it. And the reason why was because that house was like remodeled. It already came, it came with two houses. And my, my Mimi, my mom's mom, was already building a new house, like this big cabin. Like mm. the, and this cabin was on HGTV at one point. Oh, whoa. It was on HGTV because they were selling it which was very upsetting. Yeah. This was like when I was in the military, they sold it and it was on HGTV, you know, like where they like, oh, I'm a pencil sharpener and my husband is a... <laughs> is a stargazer. A stargazer. Our budget's five million. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah. And literally they bought the house and like here that house would go for millions, mm -hmm. but since in that area it only went for like 350. Mm. Because the economy there is such crap. Yeah. But they wanted, since my Mimi was like so like interior design, they offered her another like 40 grand to leave everything. Like couches, TV, everything. Everything on the walls. You leave everything and just leave. We'll give you another 40 grand. Because it was so like, like country, like yeah. historic, like, like she just antiques. You know what I mean? She just designed it well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, guacamole. Take two. We did it.
Yes, sir. Yep, we're, we're, we're one take type of guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Do one take at a time. All right. Every time. So Where were we? So you were 10 years old. You just moved into the new house. Yes, my, my, my uh, Mimi's house. Linda, her name's Linda. Yes. Yeah. And that was a big deal for me because she took me, my parents took me from, and I say she because I like blame my mom for it, which is not what you're supposed to do, but he took me from a neighborhood where I knew everybody and my friends. Mm-hmm. And we lived like, I was walking distance from my elementary school and, okay. my, and I'd walk to school in the morning and my grandma would walk me home in the, af- when, in the afternoon. Or she would bring my bike and I would ride it back. Got it. And, uh, and that was in a city called LaVale, like a little city. And um, my, you know, my parents told me the reason why they were like, we want to move to this, we want to move to Mimi's house because, you know, look at this stove. It's got marks on it. Look at these, the kitchen needed, the whole kitchen needed remodeled. But my dad already remodeled, like my dad tore up the whole basement and remodeled the basement. And like the basement was like, of that house was the coolest place in the world because we had a pool table. He just remodeled it, like new carpet, mm-hmm. new flooring, new paint on the walls, right? We had we had a, uh, a pool table, Yeah. right? We had the like electric cars, like yeah. on the tracks. Yeah. Like we Those could make awesome. one all the way around the pool table. Sweet. My dad would build when he was like when he was like I think before I was born or like maybe around that time. He was making these big train sets, like I want to say like one, like the real small ones. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know what scale that is, but they, he was putting them on plywood the size of this room, and then it would be like a big oval, and then it would have like a brick, and then he would put a bunch of stuff on it and like little cars and stuff. And he made these big train sets, and like you know, he, we would just play with the trains over there, and that was cool. And then we had dartboard. We had obviously a stereo system, big speakers, and we had a big screen TV. What's big screen TVs was like the thing back then, you yeah. know? The huge boxes in the yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Weighed a couple hundred pounds. Yeah, and there's just a light in there. Yeah. And if you open it up and you clean the light, the picture is so much better. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a total man cave. Yeah, but like my parents, so my parents would have been like, I guess like late 20s or mid 20s, late 20s, because they kind of had us young. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like they had my brother young. I think my mom was, I don't know, I don't know why I don't know this, but I guess I guess she was like 18, 19. I don't know for sure. If I could, I could do the math, but it's not. It's too difficult. <laughs> I don't have my phone, so it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it's also do the math. I need a pencil. Um, but we would be down there every weekend. And my mom and dad's friends would come over, which was um, their name, Kim and Curran. And their kids would come over, which was my best friend to this day. And we've been best friends since we were like three. Wow. Right? Like the first time I remember seeing him and meeting him, he was eating bugs, ants off the sidewalk. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought he was the weirdest kid in the world. And he would like just smash an ant and he would eat it. And I'm like, like nice to meet you, bro. Like, you know, as a three-year-old, you know. And um, that's the first memory I have of him. 
but we don't talk. Like, I don't text him or anything unless, like, he might text me, like, once every couple months if he, like, needs, like, you know, look at, like, some blood work or something or ask me, like, a medical question, which I'm not a doctor by any means. I just know stuff. And, uh, and, uh, and, but when I go home, he always meets me. And, like, sometimes between, like, the year or to two years or three years, we haven't talked even once. But when we hang out, it's, like, no time yeah. between. And, like, it's not awkward. Right. It's not, like, we didn't skip a beat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, I've, I think I probably have one friend like that, but it's, yeah. it's a rare occurrence. But I know Yeah, everyone else is, like, it's kind of weird at first. Yeah. Because, like, I haven't talked to you in a couple of years, and I don't know if I want to stand here and talk to you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, we would hang down down in that basement every weekend. We would watch Super Bowls down there. We would watch football, like Monday night football or Sunday night football. And, uh, we, dude, I just remember listening to Fleetwood Mac on repeat, bro. The greatest hits, like just nonstop. The Mamas and Papas. And, like, I didn't even, I didn't like that music then. I hated it. Mm. But if I hear it now, it's like, the feeling is just so, nostalgic. Yeah, it's insane. Like it's yeah. insane. Like it, 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 it does so much for you. Just it's crazy that like music can do that for you. Like mm-hmm. make you have like feelings like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now I'm just thinking it's the greatest music in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then back then I was like, I hate. Why, why are we listening to this? This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Where's music? But anyway, so they moved us from that house, and it was very upsetting because that was, like, my area. I had my playroom down there and the little little room to the side. I, had, I was huge into Legos. Like, I had so many Legos. Like, not like not like rich kid status where I had, like, all these big Lego sets. I just had a bunch of Legos that I would make cool things out of. Mm. You know, like towns and, you know, I don't know. We just make crazy things. My brother, very good at, like, making things, like... Like, uh, for example, I when I went there last time, which was last year, right? Yeah, last year for like two months, I took my military helmet and my night vision, mm-hmm. and my night vision stopped working. Like, it just stopped working. And it's like an, it's a Desert Storm style, so it's like two into one. Got it. So, like, yeah. it's worth like 1600 bucks. It's not one that no one really wants. Like, people that are in the night vision, they're, like, buying, like, $10,000 sets. Or like, like, the fours. Yeah. Or, like, the, you know? Or, or even just the two, like, a t- ones with two. Like, I don't know much about them, but, like, the ones that, like, the bang for the buck. If you want to bang for the buck night vision, you want to pay, like, four grand. Hmm. Which is, like, for something that does something that you'll hopefully never need. Yeah. Right? But anyway, so I had night vision. And um, when I first got it, it worked like twice. And then when I took it home to Maryland to show him, of course he's he's tenth tenth uh, Mountain Division Infantry Airborne. Like he's seen better night vision, but it's just cool like to show like him old military stuff. Like he's really into that stuff, even though he's like been there, done that. He's just like to to own it. It's cool, right? Yeah. So. And it doesn't work when I'm showing him. I'm just like so upset. So he actually, he messaged me the other day and he's like, he takes a picture of it and it's like working. And I'm like, what the hell? 
and he pulled the battery pack out and he like rewired it with glue hot glue and then he put it back in and that was the issue the battery pack was like losing connectivity and i even the crazy thing is i bought a new battery pack for it on ebay and put it in there and it didn't fix it so then he told me he's like hey we got to buy this different battery pack and this door for it the doors even needs to be fixed and i bought it and sent it there and then he broke the battery pack the new one too just like i did yeah and, I, and I'm just like, it's, it must not be the right one then. You right. Know? There's no way. But it looks exactly, it's crazy. But anyway, so he fixed my night vision, and he's always been able to do stuff like that. He's always been able to fix things that were, mo- like, I was mm-hmm. I was contacting people online to see if they would fix it. And everyone's like, I, I can't fix that. Can't fix that. No one can fix it. So, it was pretty cool. So, yeah. Military surplus stuff is, is cool, because I'll get it every now and then from you know, friends and stuff, and, and, uh, and I give him a lot of stuff, like, I'll, and he's always grateful, you know. Yeah. He's like, cool. he doesn't want it, but I'm just like, take it. Yeah. Um, so. but yeah, so they took me from the house and to the new house. So, and, and it's crazy because my parents still live there. Okay. They live in, still in my grandma's house. So, my mom's mom's. And then she took over the the hair cellar in the basement and made it into her nail supply, her nail room. And she had two tanning beds down there and spray tanning, the same stuff, right? And then she retired. She retired pretty early. I want to say like 50. Okay. And my dad's been working. My dad just keeps working because my dad was actually going to retire and right after the pandemic, my mom got cancer, and then he's like, I can't retire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was hard. Yeah. And he's still good. not retiring. He's like, how can I? Like, because the uh, deductible, I mean, he's paying like, I don't know, probably twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 in deductible a year. I believe it. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's got they got great insurance, but it's still like a lot of, a lot money. of money. There's there's things that they won't cover. You know what I mean? Right. So. Yeah. So like I've been trying to like, and he's been building the house besides. So like, so how it is is like, when we bought the house, it was my grandma's house, the main house. So it's like a three story, two story with a basement, and then back here is uh, another house that came with the house. And this is like, the, they, they always call it the apartment because we always just rent it to somebody, mm. you know? And this is like a one garage, little living room, and then two bedrooms upstairs with a bathroom. So like a little place, but a cool, cute little place, you know? Um, probably, about the, probably about the size of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then... He built, when I was in uh, sixth grade, he built a big porch on that house, like on the back with a, with the roof, ceiling fans, like all that. Cause like in Maryland, like we sit on the back porch, you know, you yeah. have the mountains and stuff and it's just, it's just cool to sit outside. Like even when I go home now, I'll, like I'll go sit out on the back porch with my mom, with my dog. We'll just talk, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh. So he built that, 
and that's like one of one of my few last memories on my grandma is because when I was mm. when we were building that, my dad's like, "You can take one day off this week from school and, and help me." And so I took like a Thursday off or Wednesday off or something. My brother took like a Monday or Tuesday off and helped him. And uh, and my grandma came over and helped too. Mm. And that was probably the summer. I want to say the summer before she passed away, because. She passed away in August 2001. Okay. So what happened after that? September. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was like that hit me. It was like early in the morning when my grandma passed away. And like I just hid. I remember we had to go over to their house. And like my father's dad, my pap, is like very strict. I'm going to teach you how to be a man mm. type behavior. Like, yeah. and, uh, hearing him cry and like, I just put the blanket over me, bro. The whole time. Like I just, I took my blanket over there and I hid under my blanket for hours. Cause I just, there was no way. Yeah. <laughs> to face it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was, that was really hard. And then it was like, August, then September 11th happened right afterwards. And it was just like, the world has come to an end. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Like, I, I think I was in, like, history class, and they just, they pushed the TV in, and it was, like, 9 a.m., because it's, we were East Coast, because mm-hmm. over here, it would have been, like, you were getting ready for school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still at home. But they still sent you to school, right? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember if they did or not. Because Marielle was, like, they still sent her to school. But we, they, we were in school, they were, like, you're leaving. Because we're in Maryland, and You're the one right plane, the one plane that went down, is only 50 minutes from my house. The one that went down that yeah in the field farm. yeah, that was like 50 minutes from my house. Hmm. So they're like, yeah, you're leaving, and we left at school at like 10 a.m. Wow. And like I remember that was like the longest day of my life, because like I remember, um, just going to like my friend's house down the street and like we ordered pizza and we like sat on a trampoline like we just didn't know how to handle anything like we were like what is going on like is this the end mm-hmm. like you know I mean it just kind of felt like that but we're kids like you're like impervious like you, you don't think you nothing you think nothing can happen everything's great you know as kids you know what I mean mm-hmm. like you feel like you're untouchable almost like your biggest fear is like a stranger <laughs> <laughs> Remember the things that would make me nervous was the next upcoming test. Like that was my biggest stressor in my life in grade school. You know that that r- worried you. Oh yeah, I like didn't give a shit because <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah. I was gonna bomb that. <laughs> I did too. That's why I worried about it. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but okay. yeah, I mean, you don't understand the gravity of it as a kid. You don't. You don't know what's going on. Mm-mm. And as a kid, seeing adults freak out. Like, okay, what's going on? I never saw that, though. No? Even during 9-11? No. Really? My parents were very good at hiding things. From mm. me. They Especially me, because I was the younger one, and they thought that things would... And they were right. They were right. I, I, when I was in the military, they were still hiding stuff from me, and I was like, why are you hiding stuff from me? Like, why aren't you telling me what the hell's going on back home? It's like pissing me off. Yeah. And... I 
obviously I'm pretty emotional at times. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not emotional, mm-hmm. but like if it's about someone I love, mm-hmm. shit hurts, bro. Right. It hurts anybody, but you know they just wanted to, you know, protect like my mental, like my mental health. They want to protect my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like what's what's was it even really a word back then? We didn't use it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's true. But they were, yeah, it's like, I'll give you an example. When when I was trying to go in the military, and they're like, hey, you have a hernia, you have to get it fixed. And then when I had my hernia surgery and I almost died, I came home after being in the ICU for like 11 days, 10 days or whatever it was. I couldn't find my Air Force shirt because my mom hid it. Because mm. she didn't want you to go? No, because she didn't think I could go. Oh, Got it. Because they were like, he's not going to walk again. Whoa. So. Well, yeah. Yeah, can we get into that? Yeah. All right. So. If that's what, I mean, that's, you're going from. 11 to. You're going, yeah, you're going from seventh grade to right out of high school. Like, well, like 19, 19 years old. So 2008. No. February, February 2008 is when my surgery was. And then I went into the military December 2008. So I re- rehabbed that fast. Like it was that, I was yeah. that serious about it. I rehabbed myself because we didn't have, I didn't have money. Yeah. But I was going to the gym every day, running. Just trying to get back. Running at midnight. Yeah. Like I was, I wouldn't even, like, you know, like when you're 18 years old, you're like, you know, partying when you're not supposed to be because it's, cool then you know and like I was like I'm done with all that because life is just so precious like Mm -hmm. and I almost like I saw things so I was like I'm not gonna take this for granted anymore yeah and then you get to the point where years go by and everything's fine and you start taking life for granted again you know and it hits you in the face Mm -hmm. so yeah going from out of high school, when I mean, at what age did you decide you wanted to go into the military? Have you, has that always been set because your family was in it? So, like, my dad was in it, then my brother, and then me. I followed my brother. Whatever job my brother got, I ended up following his footsteps. So, like, I've been working since I was in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Like, my first job was, like, a washing dishes at a restaurant called When Pigs Fly. (laughs) And I would walk from my high school to the restaurant and I'd work till, you know, a couple hours there, like maybe four hours, five hours after school. And then like my uncle would pick me up or my dad and my mom would pick me up for $5 an hour, washing dishes straight out of high school, ninth grade. And I've been like, Technically working ever since, in a way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and the reason why I worked there was because my brother did the same thing. You know, probably like four years, you know, I was like four years behind him or, you know, whatever. So like just a couple years later than he did. So that was his first job. That was my first job. Got it. And then, (laughs) yeah, the next job was when I was like, I want to say 16, I started working at the mall as a janitor. Like, think about a small town 
where everybody knows everybody and you're the janitor at the mall. Yeah. Yeah, like you get picked on. I'm sure. Pretty bad. But you also, everyone knows you. Also true. And you're at the mall where everyone's hanging out, but you're the only one getting paid. So it's a good way to look at it. And I'm the one with the Mustang 5.0. Hey. Drop top. <laughs> As Box a, body. Yep. 90, 1990, it was the seven up edition. You ever see those? I don't think so. I mean, if I saw a picture, I probably would. Yeah, so it was a green it was a green with a white top. LX. Yeah. Convertible. But it so seven up had a contract with Ford to give these cars away during the halftime show at like basketball, NBA basketball. Huh. Ford was supposed to make like a dozen. They made like four thousand or three thousand. <laughs> so that canceled that contract. Yeah. Right? But then since it's called the seven up car, it was like now to get one, you're talking pretty decent money. I'm sure. You know. My dad bought that car for four thousand bucks. And he also had a he had a like a ninety one GT, like white. And that was my brother's first car. Got it. And then I had the but we didn't they weren't given to us. They're like, You owe me five grand for that car. So I'm paying them two hundred two hundred dollars a month. Okay. For I think it was two hundred dollars a month for five years or two hundred fifty dollars a month for five years. That's why I started working at sixteen because of course I want the baddest car that anyone I mean if there's badder cars out there, but if you're sixteen, like what are you driving else, that? What like, else are you gonna get, bro? Yeah. Cavalier? Yeah. You know, a Sunbird. A <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. Neon. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to be... Like, all my life, I wanted to be original. I didn't yeah. want to be like anyone else. I didn't want to look like anybody else. I just... That was my whole, like, mindset. I just always wanted to be different than anybody else. Like, I didn't want to... If I went to school and saw that you... Like, I don't know. Like, had the same shoes as me dress like me like I, I didn't I was like I don't want to be this guy like hmm. I, I don't know why I just didn't I don't never wanted to be like I never wanted to like just I just wanted to be original yeah you know what I mean I wanted to have like the only person to have that car um like I wasn't popular in high school but everyone knew who I was you know what I mean I, I understand was that. I was cool with everybody right I wanted to be cool with everybody there was like maybe one or two people that didn't like me but I wanted like I would hang out with all the different groups like because that's what high school is and like like i would sit with the cheerleaders at lunch just because they're girls and why not why wouldn't i um i hanged out with like the the skater types like after school because i skateboarded like i would drive my mustang down to like the city and we would skate down there like we were still skating at age 16 which is kind of funny because <laughs> usually you would stop Mm -hmm. um, you know friends with the nerds like everybody I just didn't I don't know I just was friends with everybody I just wanted to be friends with everybody I never yeah. wanted to have enemies I never wanted to hate anybody mm -hmm. you know what I mean well, that's good yeah yeah so after working as a janitor at the mall at 16 16 to probably 17 18 did you already too long. did you already have that in your mind that you're joining the military so like Yes, but I wanted not, I didn't want to. Okay. 
I was like I was looking for something else. I wanted to find I didn't want to do it. But I knew I knew if I wanted to like make something of myself and I knew if I wanted to get out of that town, which was very unlikely, I had to. Hmm. My dad told me straight up, I'm not paying for your college. I'm not paying for your he, I didn't. I didn't even have dental, growing up, bro. Like I know that's like I didn't even have dental. Like, it's such a hard life. You didn't have dental. But what I'm saying is like, my dad wasn't gonna pay any. Like he would, He's like my. He was like, I never got braces. So why do you need braces? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I need. I needed braces. <laughs> <laughs> and he still needs braces. We still need braces. We're the braces crew. Um. But like. I get off topic with that, but let's not. Um, so then I went from working as Janet in the mall. Everyone knew who I was, which was cool. But, you know, some people hated on me for it, but whatever. Because, um, you know, you'd clean the mall and your friends would be there and they'd see you. And I would just hang out with them and talk and just, I mean, if you're going to make me work the night shift when all my friends are there, I'm just going to kick it. You know what I mean? And then when we turned up, when the mall had shut down, I would grab my skateboard and I would literally skateboard in the mall when no one's in there and it's dark in there. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. That'd be a, and yeah, then that, be the great. movie theater was always open. So, like, they would see me, some of the, you know, girls would see me skateboarding. So, like, that was, like, they liked that shit, you know. <laughs> and I had, like, long hair, you know. Oh, I can't picture you with long hair. I, I, I can find some pictures, bro. They're on my Facebook. Yeah. It's stupid. <laughs> but anyway. Um... So then I worked, after that, I worked at CarQuest, which is a park store. Mm-hmm. After that, I worked at AutoZone. And when I went, to, when I, you know, at 20 or 19 years old, yeah, 19 years old, working at AutoZone, I got there. Within like two, three months, I got promoted to like a manager. And then I was the one that was doing all the inventories, like in the area. Oh, well. Because our store manager was supposed to do it, but he's like, I don't want to do it. You're going to do it. And I'm like, fine, whatever. Like, I'll get paid to drive there per diem. And like, like driving to Pittsburgh two hours away to do inventory at like five in the morning. And you're just freaking dead tired because you didn't sleep any time the night before. Because you had to drive two hours, two, two and a half hours. And you had to be there by five in the morning. So, yeah. and I'm like fixing my car at one in the morning because I have like a lowered Volkswagen and I like, there's no way I'm going to make it there if I don't fix this strut or something. So I just remember like going back in my house, washing my hands. And I'm like, I'm going to take a nap. And I'm like, I can't. I have to leave right now. And it's like started to snow. <laughs> and I have this Volkswagen that's like static on the ground. Like, one, you know, the 1.8T, the Mark IV? Yes. I had one of those. It was a cool car. Luckily, it got me there. <laughs> and then after that, I... um you know, since I was young and there was like people that were 40 and 50 there with the same title and they're trying to be store managers and like, and it's like looking like I'm going to take their spot. Like I had capable, like within a couple of years, I could have probably been a store manager because mm-hmm. like I was moving up that fast. The older guys didn't like it. You know, there's guy, there was a guy that worked there that just retired from the military and that was his next job. And he was, this, you know, he, he was under me, actually. And I'm 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he didn't like me. I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Yeah, you can. I've always looked older than what I am. Yeah. Which benefits you, right? Mm -hmm. Benefits me and... But once they figure it out? Right. Yeah. Like once... The same thing when, when I got a job that most people have for, you know, the rest of their life or something like that. And I got into it at 19 years old and everyone thinks I'm 30, but I'm 19. <laughs> and then when they find out, they just say, oh, you don't deserve this. We're just going to do everything we can to take it from you. Even though you're working your ass off. Right. Yeah. And you're trying, matter. you're giving everything you got. Yeah, I think it's just pride. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, it really messes with them older older people. And I, and I understand that, but it's not like my job was like, oh, I'm going to get you. Bro. Right. I'm here to take your job. Yeah, like it's not. It's I'm just not. here to do my best and make yeah. a living. Yeah, yeah. The end. Yeah. I mean, I had that mentality, like, I had that mentality. Like, when I walked into a room, like, I was going to work my ass off mm -hmm. to work harder than you. And it was a competition to me, but I wasn't trying to take your job. I was just trying to prove to you that I could work harder than you and outwork you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that was my mindset, especially, especially in the, well, in those types of careers. Like when I worked at Honda, like I was like, I'm going to outwork everybody. Like that was my mindset. Like, you know, and that's why I stayed after. I wasn't the best mechanic, but I was there longer than most people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was, when I became a writer for like the short period of time that I was a writer, like I didn't have a day off. Like, I, you know, George was texting me on every freaking second. And, like... The manager. And, yeah. I just didn't have... You know... I Actually, when I, was, when I was a writer, I was working more hours than I was working in the military, bro. I believe it. Yeah, when I first started. What, 70, 80-hour weeks? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, on my day offs, always going in on my day off for, mm -hmm. like, a couple hours. Right. Yeah. And I, but I didn't care because I was like, I wanted to succeed at it and I really cared about it. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. No, I relate to that. And but, I, I had the same mindset when I started writing service. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'm not the best salesman, mm -hmm. but I'll work harder than everybody. Yeah. Yep. You'll see, I'll watch you leave <laughs> and I'll be here before you. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, whatever. Or stay when things get hard. Mm hmm. And watch you quit. Exactly. Exactly. The military thing, with my father not going to pay for my college, in a town where the average living then was probably 25K, and no one, if you live in that town, you most people don't even go on vacation. Their vacation is like, four-hour drive, five-hour drive to the beach. Hmm. Like, they don't leave the East Coast. They might drive They might drive 24 hours down to the, the Florida, the Keys. Yeah. But they won't ever, like, fly anywhere. They'll never go to another country. They hmm. might go to Canada because the Niagara Falls is up there. <laughs> but they won't, they won't, they won't go, they won't go anywhere, like, international. They won't go to Asia because the money is not good enough there to really... Like, unless you live closer to the inner city, like Baltimore or D.C., the out those little towns, like they're like blue collar towns, right? Mm -hmm. Like train the best the best job there is the railroad. Got it. You know what I'm saying? So like it's like my town where I come from, it's like Little Pittsburgh, you okay. know, little blue collar blue collar town. 
is the best way I can explain it. So it's hard like to make a good living with a family and then also be able to go, you know, to Hawaii and afford it. Because that's expensive. Mm-hmm. Or go to, you know, Korea or Philippines or, you know, Singapore, anywhere. Like it's just, it's it's unheard of. Right. They don't leave. They don't. There's so many people I know back home that never even been on a plane. But mm-hmm. I, but I'll give you an example. I never went on a plane until the day I joined the Air Force. That was Whoa. the first day I was ever on a plane. So I joined the Air Force the first, like, they're like, you join the Air Force in Pittsburgh, and they're like, get on this plane at Pittsburgh International, and you fly down to Texas, you de- San Antonio, and that's when it all hell breaks loose. Because once you get off the plane, they see you, the TIs, the instructors, technical instructors, and they just start just going in on you. You know what I mean? Because that's boot camp starts right when you land. So that must have been a wake-up call. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, I've heard stories from, from my dad. He's from uh, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And he said he had to get out mm-hmm. in order to survive. To survive. And he's, I think he has been out here in Arizona for the past 35 years or so. Mm-hmm. But when he goes back home to see friends, they're doing the same thing, living in the same house. It's like nothing changed. Yeah, and they're, they're still great people. Mm-hmm. And I still talk to all of them, and when they see me, like, even the people, like, I didn't even talk to back then, like, or was really friends with, but they see me now, and they're, like, they're happy to see me, and I'm just, like, cool, you know, because, you know, you just haven't seen them in a long time, and I don't know, that's a cool feeling, um, but, yeah, I had to leave because I just, I had, because of that job, like, after I left AutoZone, I'm, like, where, I tried to get on the railroad, like, three times. I passed the test and I got an interview and they're like, you need like, I think they said two years of full-time experience. Yeah, two years of full-time experience, which I had, but there was gaps where they dropped me down to 30 hours for this week or two weeks. So it wasn't like, Mm. you know, on paper. Didn't add up. Yeah, it didn't add up. And I'm like, well, how am I ever going to get that if you don't even give me the chance? And the guys, I mean, you got to think, like, I'm an 18, 19-year-old kid trying to get a railroad job when there's people there that are 50 trying to get a job there because they're just trying to, like, or or they're 40 or 30 because they know within 20 years, 30 years, they can retire from the railroad. So, like, it's hard to get a job there when you're, like, 18, 19. It can be done, but you have to know somebody that's in there, hmm. and they have to say the word. Got it. But I was willing to, like, I even went down to Baltimore, and I was, worried, I was willing to work at that railroad, same, same company, and drive two hours every day, hmm. which I'm glad that never happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, the railroad, I think, starts out at, like, 55, I want to say, 50, probably around there. Maybe more now, but maybe not with the economy. But but, it's 50 a year, 55 a year. Mm-hmm. So that's so good money for that town. Absolutely. Yeah. And... Yeah, so, I mean, I guess really it sounds like the military was, you're out. Yeah. It was like the last resort. And I had I had an ex-girlfriend that was just like causing a lot of drama in my life. And I just like knew I had to get away. Because if I didn't, like she's just going to ruin my life. Hmm. You know, it was just, you know, you're young, you go through that. Right. Everybody goes through that, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, and I knew if I could leave, if I knew if I left, I could get away from it. 
Hmm. And I made the right decision. Like I, I look back and I'm like, it's 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 hard to say I'd do it all over again, but I would, because I still have dreams about it. Like every night. Oh wow. Yeah. Like uh, I told my dad yesterday morning, if I had a dream every time that I got orders back to Korea, knowing that I had to go back to Korea, thinking I'm still in the military, right? Because in your dream, like I still think I'm in the military. And I'm getting orders back to Korea, which was like the hardest, the hardest, not, not decision of my life, but the hardest time in my life. Because I had to leave Marielle, I had to leave my dog, I had to leave everything to go to Korea, thinking our marriage is just going to fail. Mm. So, and she has to do a whole year without me. So like, I mean, it's one thing you get deployed for six months in the military you get to come back home or four months you get to come back home and that in that branch of service there's like army they'll deploy they used to deploy for like 15 months and then you come back home hmm. but i have that dream reoccurring dream like you have to go back to korea you got orders and i have that same feeling so when i wake up i just feel like just terrible but i was like yeah if i had a dollar for every time i had that korea dream i was like i'd be a wealthy man like i would be because hmm. it's it's reoccurring the same dream over and over again yeah and it's always a little different but it's like it's just one of those like impactful moments of my life and then when I was over there in Korea I just stayed busy the whole time because I just like I didn't want to miss her you know what I mean your wife yeah like I just stayed busy the whole time because I didn't want to think about it because mm -hmm. it was that hard it was that hard like it was hard like so like every day and the funny story is when I first got to Korea like every time you go to a new base it's like you have to reprove yourself and stuff that carries on from the last base if someone's like hey what do you think of this guy and he's like oh that dude's a shit ass like you know F him like I always learned if someone was like hey if they ask about, like, this is what I learned. If, if, if someone asks about somebody, hey, how was this guy at the old base? Let him have a new chance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He got, he's probably five years older. He grew up some. You know, you can say, like, oh, well, he was, you know, difficult. But he could be different now. You know what I mean? Right. Because I still get phone calls, and they'll be like, hey, man, do you know this guy? This guy says he knows you. And I'll be like, yeah, I know that guy. Like, I'll, like tell him a story but I'll be like but he's probably different now because it's been like five years ten years you know mm -hmm. so yeah but like every time you went to a new base it's like you had to reprove yourself and when I was in Korea I felt like it was like a because you're like you're kind of stuck on base until the weekend hits you're stuck on that base and you're you have to walk everywhere you walk to your room it's a big like skyscraper room like apartment buildings and you have like a four bedrooms to one kitchen okay and um it's like a little kitchen lobby area and you share that so i had three roommates technically and then like but i felt like i had to like my mindset when i went there was like i'm gonna punch the first guy that just like does me wrong that catches that too with me because in the in that career field people think that they can talk down to you or make fun of you like they feel like it's like high school all over again the military is it's like high school all over again like they feel like oh i can talk to this guy this way because he can't touch me because the military will save me 
It's like, no, I'll wait till you're alone and like a has and I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> and that, that's literally what I meant. Like I literally, and that's what happened. Like I, the first guy that like, like got smart with me, I punched him right in the face. Because I wanted everyone to know that I was kind of like a little crazy because I didn't want people to mess with me because I'm not the biggest guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sounds like the story of people's like first day in jail. But like, that's what they... to prove yourself. No, like seriously. Yeah. No, that, but that's what they call the military. Like when we were in boot camp, they called, they said it was a minimal, minimal security prison. <laughs> like that's literally what they referred it to. And it, and it kind of is. And then when you go to Korea, it's kind of feels like you're in like a prison on work release because they'll lock down the room and be like you can't leave only when you're working because like we have we have like exercises like for war at certain times so they're like during that time you work 12 hours on 12 hours off in like full kim gear you know what i mean yeah yeah so like you're walking around with mop four like gas mask everything and you're walking home and if they hit like alarm I think Lauren Black or whatever, you have to find shelter because, you know, Kim Kim Jong Un's attacking you, <laughs> and it's all it's all pre- you're preparing. Yeah. So, and and then they they'll, like during that time, like there'd be like an exercise every couple months or whatever. During that time, they shut down the whole base. They shut down the gym. You can't go to the gym anymore. They shut down the cafeterias. You're eating MREs. They shut down the commissary. You can't go buy food. Like, you're eating just brown paper, you know, the brown MREs. Mm-hmm. So it's literally like a, it's like a little prison almost. A little bit with work release. It's like you, you're on good behavior so you can go work every day. But it only lasted like a week at a time. But it was like every three months. Or, I don't know. Don't, I don't, you know, it's probably bad for me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, that's intense. So how did, just to go back a little bit. So you left... I mean, getting out of that bad relationship with an ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, and then having to leave your wife with going to Korea. Wh- where did you meet your wife, or how long were you in the military before you met her? And <laughs> so I, I went in December 2000, 2008. I met Mariel October thirty first, two thousand nine. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, at a bar. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but hey, that, you know. How long after that did you guys get married? I'm testing you to remember your anniversary right now. Well, our anniversary was okay. So six, eight, eleven is our anniversary. Okay, so year and a half. Mm-hmm. But we got we got the license to wed. I think six months after dating. It's just a license. Oh, yeah. It's just a paper that says, "Hey, you can get married, but you're not married." Because I gave that paper to um, the dorm management, because that would get you able to go out of the dorms to get a house off base, so you mm-hmm. get paid more, because you get BAH, you get housing allowance, and you get food allowance. Because when you're in the dorms, you don't get food allowance. You don't get housing allowance because they provide both of those, right? So if you give them the license to wed, you're like, hey, I'm getting married in 30 days. We want to just get the house, everything prepared for this. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. And they'll just do some paperwork, get you out of the dorms. And you're an E3 at the time. And you're not you're not supposed to leave the dorms until you're E4, like, I think, like, E4 six months in. Like, six months holding that rank or whatever. I think it's something like that. And then do you, can you give, like, a brief description of what is the, the E ranks? Yeah, it's what just, they mean. like, you come in, you're E1. It's just, it's just the ranking system. It's just a structure of, like, you have... You know, the E5s are in charge of the E4s. The E6s are in charge of the E5s. You know, it's just like supervisors. Got stuff, it. You know, okay. the E9s are the top of the um, the enlisted rank structure. And then the then your officer would be like, uh, the four-star general would be the, the main guy. Got it. You know, brigadier general, lieutenant general, uh, major general, lieutenant general. Just general, yeah. So like the officers have, I mean, it's been so long since I've been out. So like every every military branch has different names for rank. Like mm-hmm. so that was just the, the yeah, Air Force. The Air Force was like if you talk to like the Marines, they have like Master Chief or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's just different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's just the rank structure. Every I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know the rank structure. And understand it. Got it. Okay. Oh. So off base, you live with her. How long then? Uh, so you got married in 2011. How long then uh, until you were deployed to Korea? Yeah, so I got short notice to Korea. Usually you get like a year in advance. So like, hey, you're leaving for Korea in a year. I got, hey, you're leaving Korea in two and a half months. Hmm. Because the guy that had the orders yeah. got a DUI. So then they just, it's like the lottery system. And then I got hit with the orders because I was in the same unit as him, same rank as him. And that's what they needed. You know, they filled that slot with me. They're like, because during that time, the Obama years, they were, if you got any infraction like underage drinking, DUI, loads of paperwork, you know, failure to thrive, failure to fit in type shit, like, you're getting kicked out. Like, they forced out during Obama so many people and just kicked them out of the military. And they had to just fight to live, basically. Because hmm. I don't think they got severance packages. I don't know because I knew a lot of people that got kicked out. I don't think they got any money hmm. to get kicked out. And he, I mean, I wish we could look it up, but he forced out a lot of people. During the Obama years, man, they they cut the military bad. I I just remember going, I remember going to work, and we would have like ten extra guys that we didn't even know what to do with them. So like some of them, like two of the guys that were working really hard would get a break and go home early. You know, a couple guys would go work with like we had a jet down at fuels that he would go work on fuel at the fuel barn. You know, two of us would go work at like um, we would go check on our jet at phase. Like, we would just do little jobs here and there, you know? Um, we called those floaters. Because you had, like, we would we would fly, like, a 12-turn 10. So 12 jets first go, 10 jets second go. And, like, so you only needed 12 guys to fly, to, to basically launch all the jets off in the morning. Got it. And we would have, like, 20-some guys. Oh, wow. But then after Obama was done cut, making his cuts, we had... 12 turn 10s and we had 12 guys 
and it was called loser walks. Like if your jet broke, it would go to a spare because you always had three spares, right? And you just basically three jets that we had already if a jet broke. So if your jet breaks, breaks you're pushing your toolbox to the next jet to just start all over. So like you, you, they would put people on the spares in the morning be like, hey, make sure you get your jet ready and get the jet ready beside it. And it has to be ready within an hour. <laughs> and like, because that's when the pilot steps to you. So yeah. like, so yeah, it really sucked. It was cool like when you're like, if you went in, they're like, hey, you're on a spare today. When we had a lot of people that are like, hey, you're on a spare today. The chances of your jet, you know, you know, another jet breaking, like you're just sitting there praying that no jet breaks because you don't want to launch a jet out. Because, like, you launch a jet out, you just added a bunch of hours to your life, and you want to be able to go home before everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, like, after second go, if your jet doesn't go up, you're going home on time. If your jet does go up, you're not going home on time. Because you have to wait for somebody to walk out there and revive you and Man. let you go. I guess we should go back with what we said of your hernia. Mm. So is that your... That was like to go into the military. Correct. So, yeah. was that just the the preliminary physical you had to go through? Yeah. So you go up, it? Yeah, you go up the maps to go in. Like, the first obstacle was for me to pass the ASVAB. Yeah. I passed the ASVAB, and they're like, you can go in the army, but nothing else. And this is a great story. This is a good one. This is this will explain a lot. So we're going back to that because that's that's where it all started, right? Because mm-hmm. I went I went to do the ASVAB. Why did the ASVAB in the in high school? Just because yeah. they made us, they just let us do it. Right, yeah, no, I did too. So you just, you. I wanted to not do it, so I just, just bubbled it in, you know, and left. Which, you know, regret that, because like during high school, your, your, your uh, education is peaking. Like you, I could have probably answered a lot of those questions, right? But, since I didn't care, and I was like, I'm not going to the military. Like, there's going to be other opportunities out there for me. Like, I would have never had to took the ASVAB again. So when I got out of the high school, I took the ASVAB again, and I scored just enough to get into the Army. Hmm. They're like, yeah, we can still get you in, because they, they'll get anybody in. So, like, I gave my birth certificate to the Army guy, and it was the same guy that got my brother in. My brothers are deployed to Iraq at the time I'm trying to go in the Army. My brother catches wind that I'm trying to go to, into the army, and he calls my recruiter, which recruited him. And my brother's like, "You're not letting my brother go in the army. He's not going in the army." He's like, "Why? You can't handle it." And like, you know, they play those games. My brother's like, and then my brother called me. He's like, "You're not going in the fucking army." He's like, "There's no way. I'm not gonna let you." And I was like okay, like, how is he going to stop me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, so my dad catches wind that I'm trying to go in the army. And he already knows what my brother's going through. My brother's at, in Iraq for a year and a half. Like, Man. you know, he met, my brother met his wife now right before he went to Iraq, like maybe a month or two before he went to Iraq. And then he went to Iraq for a year and a half. She waited for him and lived with us. The whole time and then when he got back from Iraq they got married wow and she was like I mean faithful strong she, woman she was like my sister yeah she lives with us you know what I mean but my 
my brother's like, you're not going to the army. And my dad's like, you are definitely not going to the army. He's like, just let me talk to, let me, he's like, let me talk to the Air Force recruiter. I was like, okay. So he talks to her. She's like, he needs to score like a 39 on the ASVAB. And like, I'm already out of high school, so I already dumped all that stuff. And I'm like, and she, he, my dad's like, go see her. You're going to like her. She's pretty. <laughs> and he's like, his way of getting me in the Air Force, he's like, yeah. the Air Force has all the pretty girls. He's, he's telling me the Air Force has all the good looking girls. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, you know? So I go talk to her and she's pretty. And, you know, she became my friend, you know, of course. But everyone, like, every recruiter becomes your friend. But no, like, this girl, I, she's still on my Facebook today. I can still message her. She's still just, she's sweet. She's so nice. Um, but I was like, I can't make a 39 on the ASVAB. Like, mechanical, yes. But anything else, like, math, I was like, math is my problem. And she's like, well, I want you here every Thursday and Sunday, and we're going to go over math. She taught mm -hmm. me math. Like, wow. re-taught re me algebra and everything. Yeah. And then I did my ASVAB right after that. We did, like, maybe four weeks of math, and I scored, like, in the 40s, which good, whatever, yeah. you know, good enough to get in, right? Right. <laughs> and and my, what I wanted, the job I wanted, was the job I got. Well, no, I, uh, let me take back I got open mechanical, but the job I wanted was crew chief. So she got me the crew chief job, but I just didn't know what jet I was going to be on. Okay. You know what I mean? So, like, they're like, when you score high in one section, like, if I scored high in electric, they're like, you're only going to be an electrician. If you score high in mechanical, you're only going to do mechanical. But if you score high in all of them, you can do, like, logistics and you know pretty much whatever you want right you know what i mean you you got the cream if you score 99 you can you can do whatever you want you know and most of the guys are like i want to do tac p or ranger or you know seal and it's like you know the washout rate is just insane like i've just i watched people go from crew well i watched this one guy he tried it when he first came in. Then they made him a crew chief. He was a crew chief for like six years. He went back to try again, and he was there for like two days, and they just brought him right back. Whoa. Because it's like, you know, it's just the mental part. And I knew he wasn't going to make it because he couldn't even like, he couldn't even handle the stress of a crew chief. Like, it's stressful. It is. Yeah. But you just got to handle it the right way. Mm-hmm. Just have to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. You gotta learn how to play the game. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not let it affect you. Not don't take that stuff home with you. That was the hardest part. That's why. Yeah. You know, when I left work, I always went to the gym to have that buffer in between, so I wouldn't come home and like, you know, be yeah, angry strong, at my man. wife. You know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so cause the ASVAB did the ASVAB scored high enough. Scored high enough, and then I go up to Maps in Pittsburgh. You know, they make you like get naked in front of everybody, make you do like a duck walk in front of everybody. You go into a room where this like old doctor tells you to bend over and spread your cheeks. No lie, he looks at your rectum for whatever reason. I don't, I still don't know to this day. He just wanted to look at it, I guess. <laughs> just wanted to see the fruit basket, you know? <laughs> um, 
And then he told me I had a hernia, which I didn't even know I had a hernia. You know, they, you know, cough, whatever, turn your head, cough. Right. He's like, you have a hernia. I'm like, what? What do you, what do you mean? I don't know what that is. And I think it happened, like, because I used to, like, pick up transmissions at, like, AutoZone from the floor with, like, a skid. Mm-hmm. You know, like, me and another guy and loaded up right. in the truck. Something like that, you know? And, uh, and I was like, well, what's that mean? They're like, well, we're going to give you a waiver for your eyes because your eyes are not good. But we're not going to give you a waiver for your hernia. Because you have to get that repaired before you come in. Because they don't want you to come in for, you know, eight weeks. You go through boot camp. You go through tech school. And then they immediately putting money into you for a surgery. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they don't even know if you're going to make it. Right. So it's like, do we really want to give this guy a waiver and then have to do surgery on him? So I'm like, okay, I got to get it repaired before I go in. I'm like, whatever. So I come home. I tell my dad. And my dad's, like, cool with me going to the Air Force. He's like, that's perfect, you know. As long as I wasn't going into, like, the Army. Because he saw how hard it was on my brother. It wasn't hard on him, like, mentally, but it's just... It's just... Those guys, especially back then, they just didn't get treated, like... I mean, if if I went to Iraq, you're talking six months. If he goes to Iraq, it's a year and a half. Or a year and five months, sorry. It's like a year and three months, whatever. I don't know what it is. It's over a year, though. And um, so my brother's still in Iraq, and me and my dad go see this doctor, this surgeon, because we get this rapport that this is the best surgeon in the area. He's been a surgeon for like 40 years. You know, he can do it, you know, blindfolded. Like this girl said, he could do it blind, like with a blindfold on. He's done so many of these, he can do it like blindfolded. That's what she said. I thought he said that, but you know how, like, you remember something, like, something said, and you think someone else said it? Yeah. I thought he said it, so I was, like, I was really mad, you know? But anyway, <laughs> um, my dad told me, he's like, he never said that. That's what the girl told us that, told us to go to him, because um, it's kind of memories foggy back then, like, because of that issue, right? So he's like, okay. He's like, I can do your hernia surgery in like two weeks. He's like, you'll come here at like 6.30 in the morning. We'll prep you. It's like an hour long surgery. We'll just charge your insurance. I'm like, I don't have insurance. He's like, oh. He's like, well, he's like, I think it's like a thousand for anesthesia. He's like, I think it'll be like $2,500 total. 2500 I'm like, okay, cool. I'll just pay for it out of pocket which means my dad will pay for it and I'll pay him back. Because, like, the way that works is, like, if, like, with the Mustang, he's like, you can have, you you can have this Mustang, but you have to give me four grand mm-hmm. with 5% interest. Because it's his money. And that was just always the thing. Because his thing is, like, if, like, I've I've got car loans off of him, and he'll put like 4% interest, 5% interest on it because he's like, I'm going to make money off the money that I give you because you can't, if you go to the bank right now, you're going to get 16% interest, especially at that age. And this is going to be your money one day. So like that's, that's what his dad did. That's what he does, right? Got it. You know, just how we grew up. Yeah. And that's how it is to this, this day. But, um, so like, 
Two weeks go by, getting ready for the surgery. Me and my ex are broken up. Like, we're done. Like, we were just... It was already over. Yeah. And I go in for surgery. I remember my pap showing up, which, you know, my pap died when I was in the military for just a short amount of time. But I remember he showed up, and he was like... He was already like prepping me for the military. He's like, hey, when you get in the military, make sure you get me some socks. Send me some socks. All my socks got holes in them. So <laughs> he's like, just funny, you know? Yeah. And I'm getting prepped for surgery. And I'm having a good time. Because I'm like, back then I didn't think anything of it. Like I didn't think going under the knife was a big deal. I didn't think getting put to sleep was a big deal. I'm going to wake up in an hour, two hours, and or three hours or whatever. And it's it's going to be like, I'm just going to have a little bit of pain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what I was told. So I uh, I remember waking up. Like my last memory is my pap telling me that. And I remember waking up. And granted, I went in around 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m. The sun's coming up. I'm waking up and it's dark outside. Hmm. And I'm having a hard time waking up. And I can see, like, everyone around me, not just my mom and dad, my first cousins, my second cousins. Whoa. Like, <laughs> my recruiter's there. Like, why is she here? And she's crying. So, and I just knew like something wasn't right. And then they just, they kind of told me a little bit. They're like, oh, well, we have to go down to Baltimore from Cumberland, which is like a two hour drive where we want to medevac you out. But it's sleeting ice rain. It's like raining ice because it's like it's colder climate that day. It's like raining ice, so they they can't even get the helicopter out. They want to medevac me, so I'm like, this is sounds serious, and I just feel pain. Mm-hmm. I just feel swollen, but I can't look at nothing. I'm like I'm covered up, you know. I have blankets over me. I have no energy. Like, I have no energy. I have enough to, like, I'm just so tired. I'm in and out of it. Like, I'm waking up. I'm falling asleep. I'm waking up. I'm nodding out because they just got me so drugged up. And my dad said that the doctor came out and there was, like, a pole. You know how, like, they have a big pole in the hospital? Mm-hmm. And he's, like, briefing my dad. And he's, like, I-, I messed up. He's, like, I messed up. And my dad's, like, what do you mean you messed up? <clears throat> and my dad said that the doctor went pale. And he fell back on the pole and the pole caught him. Like he's starting to pass out. And uh, they go in liposcopic with like a, with a camera. And they do it all liposcopic. Like, it's like two little cuts this big right here. And then 
that's all they need to fix it. And they go in with like little tools, but he nicked my femoral vein, femoral vein, femoral vein, femoral vein, femoral artery to this leg, to my left leg. So it just starts blowing out. So he puts a suture, a fruit loop around that bitch, basically. He like cut, clots it out, clots, he closes it shut because it's just, you know what I mean? And then he, to do that, he had to, he had to cut me like, you can see the scar? Yeah. Cuts me from here to like my dick, all the way down, and just rips me open, and that's how he cut, he, he starts like trying to pack it with like gauze, of course that's not going to stop it, then he, he closes it shut. Now I have a like eight inch blood clot in my left leg, because he just shut the femoral vein in my left leg, shut. So you have your artery, your femoral vein pumps the blood to your heart. Your artery pumps the blood to your foot, right? I'm pretty sure. The, the femoral artery is just your main vein. Yeah, and it's like the size of your thumb. Yeah, that runs all the way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so th- I think it's if that's cut and not closed up, you're dead in minutes. Yeah, like that, I lost eight units of blood. Oh, my goodness. And that's pretty much what the body holds are roughly. Like, over time, I lost eight units of blood. They just had to keep giving me blood. Transfusion, transfusion, transfusion. And, um, I mean, my leg, I mean, my leg was like, I mean, it was huge. Like, everything down here was just purple and just swollen. They thought my leg was going to have to go. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine going in there to get a, a pretty common surgery and then them to tell my mom and dad that he's probably not going to walk anymore and it was supposed to be like an hour surgery 30 minutes hour surgery it took four hours so my dad already knew someone's thought man but that's the hardest thing is like Just knowing, just knowing the pain they went through. Mm. I felt like it was like my fault. But uh, I haven't told that story too many times. <laughs> the deposition, like I when I when I told her that they're like at the deposition, they're like start start from the beginning. I'm like for real, and they're like yeah, start from the beginning. I got to like this part. I started doing this. They're like oh you're good, you're good. You don't have to say no more. You're good, and they just cut it. Really? Yeah, because they don't want that. Hmm. They don't want nothing real. Because that's, that's, that's going to ruin them. That's going to take dollars from their pocket. His lawyers, you know. Yeah. And that was, you're talking six years after that. Wow. Was when we finally, you know, got to the brass tacks of it. Well, so I remember getting into the ambulance. And it was like a, I remember hearing like the diesel turbo engine. 
and like just and then like driving fast to Baltimore and I can hear the rain just hitting it and they're dry I can feel I like it was like they had me so drugged up that like I was I was cool bro like I was good yeah. even though I wasn't good I was good right I know what you mean and like and I know my I know my mom and dad are right behind like they didn't, they weren't allowed in the ambulance with me because it was so hectic right because like, they were afraid I was going to code that they just followed so when I got down there, like, um, they first put me in a room. It was like a hotel room because it was the Maryland University Hospital. It's like the top-notch hospital down there besides, like, John Hopkins, but it's the Maryland University Hospital. It's probably the second-best hospital in Maryland because they're like, if anyone can fix this kid, this they can't. They put me in a normal room. I'm not even in the ICU yet because they're like, Shit didn't hit the fan yet. It wasn't... The only thing I had was a blood clot. And I was kind of stabilizing, right? So shit didn't hit the fan just yet. And I'm in a room. And I'm just out of it for a day. And I remember looking over and, like, seeing my mom and dad, like, on, a, on like, a small bed. Like, you know, because they have a, another bed over there. You know, hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing a window... And I can see like a helicopter coming in and out, kind of, or I'm hallucinating, I don't know, because I was hallucinating bad. And I remember, I remember my cousins walking in, and like, I remember my dad's side of the family walking in, and they kind of like, you know, they're just different, they're like from the country. You know, I love them dearly, but they, I just remember being mad that they Mm. were there. Because I didn't want anyone to see me. Yeah. And right when that happened, it was like those nurses and doctors rushed it. Because I just started like, like, you know, like when they're watching your EKG and they can just tell you're about to go. And they just come in. And this was after I threw up on myself a couple times and aspirated it. So I already had pneumonia. So I had pneumonia. So like I was getting pneumonia at that time. And, like, I was getting so sick that right when that happened, they, like, I just remember them, like, putting a tube down in my lungs or down, like, to basically suck all that fluid out. Like, they made me, like, I was, like, drinking water as they're putting it through my nose, down in, to go in my lungs, I think, to, like, suck all the mucus out. Right. And, um, and, uh. And then they've they, they taken me from there. And then they take me to an MRI to scan me again. And like, you, you want to talk about the worst pain of your life? When you have probably 10 units of blood sitting in your back and you don't, like my back hurts so bad because all, blo- the, all the blood is pulling in my back. But I just think my back hurts from like laying in bed too long because I don't know. Right. And like, and um, they they have to switch me from the the bed to the MRI, and I'm oh, lift you. I'm screaming, Ugh. bro. I'm screaming, like I'm screaming for my dad. I'm screaming for my dad, and I can hear him crying. And then I go, th- and I'm screaming the whole time they're doing the MRI. And then they lift me back, 
And then they give me like Delada on a button and I'm just fucking hitting that bitch. Cause I'm like, you know, I was like, I need, need this bad. Cause they just cause so much pain and you know, and then they're like, they're like, if we go back in there to fix this, he's going to die. Like anytime I get a doctor that looks at me today to, to redo it, cause they never fixed it. He never fixed it. He never fucking fixed it. Whenever I get a doctor to look at it today, like I was at the VA probably a year ago. They're like, if we do this surgery, you're probably going to die. Cause I need a vascular surgeon and a general surgeon. Vascular surgeon is first going to go in and he's going to pull all the veins out of the way. Cause what happened was when they, when they started that blood clot, it broke off, disintegrated, and then a million veins, little veins, bridged itself. Like the body is pretty freaking amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. So my leg went from being huge to like, like they're almost like the same size now because, um, you know, it's just been so long. But that's why I started working out because the doctor told me the more I work out, the more I'm active, the longer I'm going to live. Hmm. The better my life's going to be, the better my legs are going to be. So when I got out of the hospital, you know, that's all I did. How many days were you in the hospital? Uh, I think 10, 11 days total, 12 days total, I think, but eight, eight to nine days in intensive care. And what did they do to, to fix it at the time, or did they just let your body do its thing and wait? So they just waited to see what your body was going to do? Because MRSA, MRSA was going around so bad there, they were afraid they would open me up. I already had pneumonia. If I get MRSA, I'm, uh, I'm done. So, like when I remember when everyone, when my parents would walk in, they had to like gown up completely because MRSA was so bad. Yeah. They never did anything. The only thing they did, they put a, they put a filter. I had to go under. Once I stabilized, a couple of days later, they put a filter going to my heart, just in case if that clot breaks off doesn't go to my heart or lungs got it and it was i still have it i have a filter it looks like a christmas tree ornament it's like a it like you can stretch it and it's like titanium and it basically they put it in with like a like kind of like a, a big gauge needle and they just push it in and it goes in and then it has these like little these little metal tabs that like grab mm. the inside of the vein you got know because the vein's pretty big and like i said it stretches I, could, I should have brought it in. That would have been cool. Like a reverse cactus almost. <laughs> a what? A reverse cactus. Reverse cactus? Needles on the inside. Hold yeah, it. yeah, kind of. Yeah. But yeah, like, and like, I mean, I just hallucinated so bad when I was in there because they just had me on so much medication. Oh, yeah. Like, I just remember seeing so much weird stuff. Like, I, I had a window in my room, but there yeah. was, it, was the, it was the next room over. So it wasn't a window to the outside, but I'm seeing a little girl on a swinging on a swing set. Hmm. And then I'm like asking my mom, that was the hardest thing was like, I was asking my mom, like, why, why is grandma not helping me? You know? Hmm. But obviously she was, cause I'm still here. So. I think it's an act of God you're still alive. Yeah, I mean, that's what my mom and dad said. Like, And he's, they're like, you can't say there's no God. Like, there's, you can't say there's no God. And, like, I remember my dad was like, 
don't worry about any of the bills. You know, we'll handle it, whatever. I was like, okay. Like, that's not what I'm worried about. (laughs) I'm worried about you. I'm worried about mom. I'm worried about... I'm worried about them. Yeah. Because I see the pain in their eyes. Like, once I started joking again with them, like, I had, like, a little red laser on my hand. I'm like, oh, Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Like, once I started joking again, like, my dad knew I was going to make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then my dad wrote a journal. He, like, it was, like, day two or three. He's like, I got to write this shit down because this is, this is bad, you know? Mm. And our journal was part of the suit. Mm. But I mean, you have, after that surgery, you have four years to file a suit. And I would go back to Baltimore to meet my lawyer and we would literally have a 20 minute talk. And then I'd like be like, okay, I can fly back now. Like just to meet and greet. Mm. And he took four years. The the four-year date, like February 18th, 2013, he filed it. And then it took another two or three years. Like, I I remember going to the deposition, like I said, like, once I started crying, just telling it, because that was probably the last time I told this story. Well, definitely on camera, but last time I told this story, like, in depth, like this. Um... They're like, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm like, but my bills are a hundred twenty, hundred ten thousand dollars, <laughs> like, and they're like, well, I guess I don't know what to tell you, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll see you in court then, and I'm the one that said that, because I was like, fuck you guys, you know what I mean? The good thing about it all is Amer- the state of Maryland. Like, my dad contacted a lot of people because he was like, he's like, he told me, he's like, look, you're just going to go bankrupt. He's like, you can't, we can't, you can't afford these bills. I'm, I'm not going to pay for these bills. I was like, I can afford them, but this isn't your fault. Right. And he's like, you're going to go bankrupt. You're like 19. It's going to screw your credit for like, until you're probably 26, 27. But if you need a loan, I'll give it to you. Like, house loan, anything. Mm. You know? Because he, 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 like, he didn't, my dad didn't make, like, tons of money, but he did the right choices with his money. You know what I mean? He, he saves his money very good. Yeah. Better than anyone I know. And, like, he, um, but once we got out and we got back home, and, like, I was in a wheelchair just for a day or two. I was like, I can't do this. Um, the state of Maryland found out about the story and they took ownership of everything. Wow. And they paid the 110 grand. Whoa. Yeah. But then when I got my money, they're like, we want our money back. Yeah. So that's the, that's the funny story. So think about going back and forth with lawyers for six years, seven years, whatever. And, uh, we didn't pay the lawyer up front. It was one of those deals like, hey, you get money, you make money. Got it. Once the case is settled. Yeah. So they get a pretty chunk if mm-hmm. they win, right? So, like, um, they offered me, like, 90 first, and then it was, like, 100, and then, like I said, the bills were 110. And then once they took care of the bills, 
then they offered me 125 but then the state of Maryland was like but we want our 110 back and then I was like well then no like I gotta live with this for the rest of my life but the right. argument was that I'm in the military how am I in the military how am I able to do all this stuff because my mindset when I went in the military like because I trained so hard just to be an average military person because before I before all this I was in track like I was the second fastest on the track team I could run forever now if I run a mile my leg hurts so bad like it's just it would swell up and I would wear like you know like I would wear the um, compression sleeves yeah like all yeah. the way up though and they'd be like why are you wearing those I was like oh, I just like them mm. you know what I mean and I wear them on both legs so it's not weird you know and um and because uh, the, the military really didn't like when I went back in. So I'm kind of going back a little bit. When I went when I went in, when I went back to MEPS, they're like, he still has a hernia. And what is all this scarring? And why? Are, what are all these varicose veins? Like they had all these questions, right? They called my recruiter and they're like, what is all this stuff? Like what happened? Like they wanted all the medical documents for what happened. The doctor did. Mm. And my my recruiter said, stop playing with him either take him or send him home like either let him go in or send him back home and that got me in wow so they gave me a waiver for the hernia they gave me the waiver for the eyes which they should have done in the first place because it was save a lot of tears <laughs> and um and so when i got in basic training when i would hear people complain that was my motivation because yeah. like you're complaining and you have no problems like, you don't have a blood clot in your left leg, but I do. And I'm out here running around you. Like, you know. Like, I could always, like, it's, it's like, the worst running tactic ever. But basically, when they would hit the, when they would hit the, like, the gun or the bell or whatever, when you would start your test, like, because you had to test every year, I would always, you had to do a mile and a half in, like, 13 minutes. Mm -hmm. Which, like, when I was in high school, I could do a mile in, like, 650 640 or something, right? It's not not too fast, but I'm You're moving. I'm a 14-year-old kid. Like, you know what I mean? Like That's I'm young. Good for 14 year Yeah, 13, 14-year-olds. Yeah. Um So you what, eight and a half minute mile for a mile and a half? Yeah, back a, then. Yeah. yeah, not like a, probably a 9 something, but but now a 12, 11 like after the surgery. Oh, got it. Got you it. know what I mean? After the surgery. Okay. Like, like my best ever after the surgery, a mile and a half was like ten forty-nine. Okay. So not great, <laughs> but not bad, because you like I like I said I I think I think at, when you're like young when you're I think when you're like twenty like twenty twenty-five you you can't get anything over like twelve fifty-five. So I was in the tens like when at my peak cardio like mm -hmm. in the in basic training and then afterwards in tech school and stuff and. um but I remember, like, when they would hit whatever, like, they'd be like, all right, go. Like, and you would start your test. You had the mile and a half. So it was um, so it was usually like six laps, right? So four laps is a mile. Six laps right. is a mile and a half. Um, I would always sprint first because I knew my leg was going to swell up and I wasn't going to be able to sprint at the end. Oh. So I did the, the backwards thing you're supposed to do. Because in track... Yeah. 
You're supposed to start out like at a good pace and save yourself to the end. Yes. But knowing that my leg is going to swell up and, you know, I, I, what I would do is I would take like an ibuprofen before like an aspirin and then I would like chew some gum so I could breathe better and like, and I would just start, you know, I would, I would be, I would start to lap people the first lap because I was like, I got to get this going because it's going to start hurting and I'm going to be shuffling. I'm going to be walking in place, basically, running in place, you know? Yeah. We called it the, like, the Shepherd Shuffle because we were in Shepherd, Texas, or, or Shepherd Air Force Base. We called it the Shepherd Shuffle because, like, we would act like we were running, but we weren't. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we called that the, in football, we called that the lineman run. Yeah. Yeah, like, just the, the big guy. Around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, man. Like, and, um, but I remember, like, people, like, complaining and, like, I can't do this anymore, and I'm just, like... I fought to get in here. Like, I had to fight for my life to get this twenty-eight thousand dollars a year job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, I remember my first, like when you go in, like you come in and you're in just normal clothes, and they call you the rainbows because everyone's a different color, right? You've got sixty in line, so you have four columns, sixty total guys to a, a room. Well, there's like, it's, it's a big bay, but it's room to room, 30 and 30, right? Well, when you're out there waiting to go to chow, or you line up in the morning at four in the morning when the bell goes off, it's four columns, total of 60 guys, right? And they got, at first they call you the rainbows because everyone's wearing a different color shirt, jeans. I'm wearing Jordans, so my feet are just killing me because I, you know, I always like Jordans. Um, just never could afford them until then. And, uh. And uh, so when they take you to go get your uniforms in basic, they they deduct all that out of your money. So you pay for your uniforms mm. when you go in. Uniforms aren't cheap. You're, my, I was getting $600 every 15 days. Okay. <laughs> so, so when they, yeah, so, oh. so, so talk about, like the biggest kick in the nuts because I thought I was going to go in and make money. Like I thought, like I sold my car before I went because I was like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to start making money and I'm going to get an R32 Volkswagen, like, you know, the all-wheel drive one, the 2040, remember? Like, and like, which was like probably like a $36,000 car, retail, brand new. Yeah, at the time. At that time. And like, I'm going to live my best life. And then I saw my first check. It was like one ninety, because they just took like over four hundred dollars out for camouflage. I was I was hurt, bro. That's hurt. That hits your soul. I was hurt. And then I saw other people's paychecks that were married with kids, and I'm like, why is this guy getting twelve hundred? Why is this guy getting thirteen hundred? Well, because he's got two kids and a wife at home that they have to pay for her house. So like going in married makes sense, but doesn't make sense. Makes sense, but doesn't make sense. Financially, but not really. Yeah, like family oriented. No, because you're not gonna have time for your family. Yeah. Depending on your job, you could have a lot of time, or you might have none. Right. Yeah. Or me, like I was kind of in the middle. Um. So, and then my next check was like five ninety, after working 
seven days a week from 4.45 a.m. to 9 a.m. at night, nonstop. Because in boot camp, it's nonstop. The only time you get to yourself is, I think it's like 9 at night, they start, you start getting, like, you take a shower and you get in bed, and then you have to be up by like 4 or something. I can't, I can't remember the exact times, but that's when the bell went off. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Just Do Better podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating on the platform you are listening on. It helps to reach more people with the intent of inspiring and changing lives. We upload podcasts weekly, so you will never miss out on what's next. Thank you again, and until next time, just do better.